0: You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, and welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day. This is a fun one for me, I'm just going to tell you. So in my closet, I can't even, I shouldn't own the closet when it's technically your closet as well. You guessed it. My husband, Chris, is joining us in the podcast closet today.
1: I feel like I have a lesser amount of ownership (laughs) over the closet, even though technically like maybe a third of it has my clothes
0: and stuff in it. Uh, This is true. And I, I think gals, most of you, married gals out there, you guys can probably relate to that, that we do kind of own a bit more of the closet, it would seem. But you're so gracious to share, for sure. Well... Well, gals, I'm excited today because we are going to have a little conversation about raising men is what I've decided to call it. But if you have girls and you don't have boys, don't tune out on this one because, you know, we are looking at this through the lens of having boys because we only have boys. So let's first start by just giving you a little bit of background in case you are new to the devoted podcast. And maybe you haven't caught Chris and I in the closet before. We've done a couple things. We've done some kitchen table apologetics. And we had a hard time doing that because here we are in the closet and it's not technically the kitchen table anymore. But we have done that. Maybe we should do some of those again. And those were just that because dinner table, that's some good conversation time, guys, with your kids for sure. So we have done some of those, and we've also done family devos. We talked about that mm-hmm. before. We've talked about some essential doctrines.
1: Mm-hmm. What else have we done? Wow, well, we've done a few. I've, we've
0: done a few. Yeah. I've roped you in here a few <laughs> times. <laughs> it's true. But let us just give you a little bit of background. Chris, tell everybody about our boys, ages, all that kind of fun stuff.
1: Yeah, well, let's see. Our oldest, Evan, is unbelievably in college right now. Seriously. And is steaming his way to no longer being a teenager, which is also unbelievable. So he's 19. And then we've got Caden, who will be 18 in just a matter of weeks. Yep. Probably
0: by the time this airs, he's going to be 18. Wow. I know.
1: So, yeah, he's a senior in high school, and then the caboose is Brennan, and he's 14, he'll be 15 in January. So at this moment, we have three teenagers, and uh, I distinctly remember the day that Evan was born. We did not find out boy or girl for any of them.
0: Any of them. Go ahead. Judge me now. I know,
1: which I'll just say there are so few true surprises in life yep. that that was a really fun one. But I remember the moment that he was born and the doctor saying you have a boy and that just pretty much set my life's trajectory down a different path than I did not see coming because we would have all boys. Yes. And that ended up being a really cool thing. Like I said, changed the tenor of our household without us really recognizing that that was going to happen. For sure. And while I would never choose to do it differently, I have to say in full transparency, I do have a little deal worked out with my three sons that each of them must have at least one daughter. Okay, we'll
0: see how this works out.
1: So that I can have three granddaughters and that is the price that they have to pay for me putting up with all of the property (laughs) damage that they've caused me over the years.
0: We have a saying on our house that boys versus girls, we think that probably raising girls is a lot more drama. We don't really know because we've not gone there. And uh, raising boys is a lot more property damage. So... That's kind of how it's been for us. Thankfully, it has been mostly property damage and not really too much damage to each other. (laughs) We've amazingly not had any broken bones, which I think is shocking for the amount of physical contact in this house. We have had some missing teeth.
1: We've had, yep.
0: Yeah. We've had one particular brother that has kind of been the, definitely done some damage on, on the dental work. That's for sure. So here's the thing with parenting is i don't know it's a challenge for sure but i have to say i understand all those challenges we've walked those challenges we're still walking those challenges because three teenage boys but it's also one of the biggest blessings in our lives for sure we've learned a ton about us we've learned a ton about teamwork and being on the same page with each other and then also just the role we play in being a parent. One thing I have to say, gals, if you are a parent, we have to remind ourselves that we are their parents. We're we're not their friends. I have heard that, you know, and I I don't know, we have great relationships with our kids. So it's not like I, I think you're going out of your way to be unfriendly or anything like that. But there's definitely times in your parenting life that, you know, you're not going to necessarily be the popular one.
1: One of the things that you can lose sight of when you are... A mom of younger kids, particularly, but even, you know, like middle school age kids is that there is another season of life that is coming for you. Mm. And it feels like your whole world is raising kids and rightly so it is. But there is a time coming where it will not be that way you know, where your kids will be gone and out of the house. And that may seem in your mind as sort of the tail end of your life. And, you know, that'll just be the footnote to what you're doing. But the reality is if you add up the years, what you're doing right now is a much smaller part of your life than what's coming. And so I like to encourage people that the time is coming For you to be friends Mm -hmm. with your kids. Mm -hmm. That is going to happen someday. That is time is not right now. And what you're doing right now is going to lay the foundation for a successful friendship down the road. If you don't pay attention to what's happening right now, then that friendship part down the road is not going to be nearly as fun. Mm
0: -hmm. That's really true. So. Chris, maybe start us off with just maybe give like a little biblical basis on where our parenting kind of started and where we chose to make our mark on this, I suppose, all the way back when they were tiny.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to think about raising kids and specifically, you know, raising men in our case. Why, like, what role ought that to play in our lives? And it's interesting the passage in Malachi. Malachi chapter two talks about a a kind of an interesting statement here where in verse 15 of Malachi two, it says, has not the Lord made them one? And in this case, the them he is referring to is the husband and wife in flesh and spirit. They are his and why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. And so for me, like I read that and I say, man, this most significant moment of my life when Amy and I got married, like that that was the pinnacle of my life's experiences, right? And yet the Bible says right here, why did all that happen? Why did this unique joining of two people to become one, why did the Lord do that? Well, in Malachi, he says, it's for the kids, he wants godly kids. And so I remember when I when I read that verse for the first time as a married guy and recognizing that the Lord is basically saying to me, one of the most important jobs on earth that you will have is raising the children that I will give you. And so that means I need to take that really seriously. I need to be very intentional about that. And I think back about this now, that has impacted major decisions that I've made. I mean, I've made career decisions based on, I don't think I should do this because it's going to make it harder on me to fulfill this primary obligation of raising godly offspring.
0: Well, and maybe even expound on that just a little bit because when you're talking about job decisions and things like that, it's not necessarily sometimes because you want to make sure that you're just attending to all the wants, perhaps, that the kids have and, you know, making sure that life is super comfortable and all those things. We're not necessarily talking about those types of things.
1: No, for me, it was more recognizing like, Making that career decision will take me out of the home for important times of life, whether that was, you know, I wanted to be involved as a coach, you Mm -hmm. know, for sports seasons or whatever, but even just travel or being at meetings at, at particular times that I knew the most important thing, first and foremost, is that I am pouring into my family and If my job is not going to allow me to do that, then I need to make sure the job is the thing that suffers and gives and not the family.
0: Yeah. I don't know who originally said this, but if parenting is easy, you're probably doing it wrong. And we have caught ourselves on that so many times when you're thinking about, oh, goodness. (laughs) We're going to make how many trips to do this? And we're going to, you know, go back and forth. Or maybe it's not just an inconvenience. Maybe it's literally having that conversation with your kiddo for what feels like the 15th time, you know, it's parenting is not meant to be convenient. And when we think about with you really plugging into the home, I have to say, and I would refer people back to that family devos episode that we did, because that is the bedrock really right there of raising godly kids. Raising godly men for sure is right there with that, making that priority, that time in the Word.
1: Yeah. And the thing to remember, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you have really young kids, and I mean really young, like maybe a newborn or like a two-month-old or whatever, you are establishing patterns for yourself right now. Yeah. And I think one of the mistakes that I hear parents make sometimes, and and honestly, this isn't unique to parenting. This is true for anything in life. Whenever we say, well, once such and such happens, then I'll do this, that or the other thing, mm-hmm. you know, Once some future event or occurrence or transition takes place, then I'm going to do this thing that I know I should.
0: Once they're potty trained, once they're in kindergarten or once they're in full day kindergarten, I'd have to, you know, I mean, all of the things. Once they
1: can really understand what I'm saying, then, you know, I'll start doing devotions with them. Or once I can communicate to them what they did wrong, then I'll start, you know, doing Mm -hmm. the discipline thing or whatever. Like, that is just an absolute fallacy. Yeah. It's a lie from Satan, really, because it it keeps you in a place where you are less effective as a parent or just as a believer. And you're really, what you're doing is you're giving yourself an excuse and saying, well, I'll just put it off until tomorrow or next week or next year or five years from now. And man, once you have established a pattern of inaction, it's so much harder later to come back and, and change that.
0: I love what you're saying there. It reminds me of when we got Lucy, who's our dog, the puppy, and we talked about how much of dog training was training the owner. People training. <laughs> it's people training. It's not so much the dog training. Because you know we have to have habits and patterns for us, and we have to be consistent in those things, and then you can instruct something.
1: Yeah. So I think that's one of the key, I guess, concepts that I'd love to have as a part of this podcast is this notion that today is the day Mm -hmm. to take action. And yes, those actions are going to look totally different if we're talking about a two year old versus a 17 year old. But the principle is the same. The way that that principle gets worked out is different, but the principle is the same. And we'll talk about maybe some of that today.
0: Yeah. And also beginning with the end in mind. And I think that's why we wanted to even call this episode Raising Men, because your sweet little two-year-old that's at your feet right now is not going to stay, that sweet little two-year-old. And before you know it, they are going to be in the workplace. They're going to be making decisions. They're going to be raising their own families. You're raising men if you have boys. And- What do you want those men to look like? So we'll shift gears away from just general parenting, but like specifically for boys. And where do you think that we really need to start with that?
1: Well, the first thing that I think is so important for us to remember and really maybe even realize is the world does not want you to raise godly men. That seems obvious when you first say it. But if you actually stop and think about that, the world does not want you to raise godly men. In fact, the world is actively trying to sabotage those efforts. And it comes in a million different ways, most of which are very, very below the surface. And a few things are right there in your face. But the world would love nothing more than to take your little boys and make them into little girls, mm-hmm. and your little girls and make them into little boys. Which is, isn't that so the way Satan works? Yep. He wants to flip everything, make it completely backwards.
0: He wants to confuse things and. Yep.
1: And just completely wreck everything
0: that God's designed.
1: That God has designed. That's yeah. right. So that's the first thing we have to understand is that if we are allowing too much of the world into our homes, it is going to be actively going against the very thing that you're trying to do. And so you've really got to have your guard up and you've got to be careful.
0: Okay, so putting you on the spot, what are some examples then of guarding the world from seeping into your home, maybe at even various ages?
1: One of the things that I see just really killing parents' ability to have a position of authority in their lives as their kids get older is when the words that are spoken on Sunday morning or, you know, even in in devotional time in your home, when those run counter to the way that the household operates, the things that you do. So if you're saying one thing when your Bible's in your hand and then you're doing something different the rest of the time... Kids are going to pick up on that in a heartbeat. Yeah. And they're going to say, this is ridiculous. Yep. You know, it doesn't mean anything in reality for my family. So why should it mean anything to me?
0: And that one is really, really big. Like surveys have now been done even on kids that when the parents, when their relationship is really rough, how even if it could be a pastor and his wife and the kids fall apart, if that marriage is not reflecting what they're learning on a Sunday or what they're what, what dad's saying when he has his Bible in hand or what mom is saying when the Bible's in hand, your kids see that stuff. And, and if you are viewing parenting through the lens of almost compartmentalizing it as like, well, here's my parent hat and here's my married hat, my being a good wife hat or whatever you want to call that, that's wrong. Those things have to go together.
1: Yep. Most definitely. Okay. So let's talk about one of the things that I alluded to just a little bit ago. And I would say this kind of goes in the camp of like a a philosophical principle of raising men that begins at really the very earliest of ages. And that principle would be this. Don't do something for your kids that they can do for themselves. And and I'll even, you know, because I, I, I want to narrow this down. Don't do something for your son that he can do for himself.
0: That- FYI, Chris is way better at this stuff than I am. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times it's because it's kind of a mom's instinct. Like, oh, I'll just do it. I'll just take care of it. I, I might have talked about this before on the podcast, but I remember the day that I was, we sat down at the dinner table and I'm, the kids were little. We're like, maybe the oldest was like four or five, you know? But I think it was the five-year-old, we all sat down, and he didn't have a fork. And he goes, oh, I don't have a fork. And so instantly, I jumped up and ran over and got a fork, or at least opened the drawer. And it was in that moment, I had this little picture of going, oh, this is something he can actually do. And, I, and I'm and i teaching him that I will just do all of the things. And this isn't to say, moms, you can't go get your kid a fork. But it was a moment for me of going, oh, Am I doing everything for my kids as opposed to letting them do the things that obviously they can walk the two steps over to the silverware drawer and grab a fork?
1: And it does seem like a silly thing. And it is, right? Who cares? Go get, go get your kid a fork. Not that big a deal. But these things build mm-hmm. upon one another. And so when you hear the jokes about, you know, well, your 28-year-old son that's living in your basement and playing video games, well, this is the building blocks towards avoiding that is not doing things for your kids that they can do for themselves. And it's going to look really small. And in fact, when your kids are young, it's probably you're going to be searching a little bit to figure out, well, what are some things that they can do? But I'm talking even at two years old, you know, there are things that you can have your kids do that you are going to be pre-programmed to want to just do for them
0: and it'll be way easier i might oh, add. Oh, way easier, where you way, just way faster. Do it yourself. <laughs> yes,
1: there will be you'll be able to do it and get out the door or what move on with the next thing in your day. But there is value and, and part of the reason why i am so passionate about this is because it happens to be in business the same thing applies as in raising your kids. If you treat your employees and hold them to a high standard, expecting them to be able to contribute in larger and larger ways, guess what? They will. So at at the little kid level, like let's talk to a two-year-old boy, I want you to just imagine right now, okay, a two-year-old has been playing in the family room for the last 45 minutes. And what does the family room look like? Right now.
0: Like a bomb went off? Yes, like
1: an absolute disaster. And that's great because they're having a good time and whatever. But even at two years old, your little boy can be taught how to pick up their toys. Mm -hmm. And this is not going to happen flawlessly, obviously. But just having the intention in your mind of, I am going to help my son do this little thing for himself... That yes, I could do in a fraction of the time and it's going to look way better when it's done and all that. So it's not about getting the toys picked up. That's not the point. The point is not to have a clean family room at the end of this. The point is to begin to instill in your son the notion of responsibility. They have responsibilities that they are expected to fulfill. And so... Picking up toys at two can then look like putting your own shoes on at five, you know? And again, I mean, that's a classic one because we're you, your parents and you're you're in a hurry to get out the door and it's, it's, oh, you know, the little guy doesn't have his shoes on. And so I've got to stop everything I'm doing and slam his shoes on him and let's get out the door. But it, this is another one of those things that by five years old, depending on the shoes, maybe they ought to be able to put their shoes on. And we've even, this has affected the shoes we've bought our kids. I remember having conversations (laughs) about, we can't ever buy shoes like that (laughs) because they they don't have a prayer of putting them on.
0: The ones that had ties and then Velcro and then like some zipper on the side. It was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we're talking about picking up toys at two, putting on shoes at five. So then these building blocks begin to uh, grow taller. And now when they're seven, it's about putting your dishes in the dishwasher, you know? And these are smaller, more like task-related or chore-related items in the home. But really right around that seven, eight-year-old mark, um, and it's probably different for every kid, so you got to kind of pray about that for your kids. But right about that age is when I think boys should be given opportunities to begin interacting with the world around them and particularly with adults. And this can start in small ways. So one example of this is when you go to a restaurant and it's time to order food, make your seven or eight-year-old boy order from the waiter. Now, I'm not saying that they should choose the food that they're going to eat. You can work that out with them at the table before the waiter comes over. But then you can tell them, hey, when the waiter comes, I want you to look them in the eye. And when they ask me what you're going to have, I'm going to say, Evan, why don't you order? And it's going to be you know, like, oh, my goodness, they could never do that. Yeah, they can. Actually. They totally can. They really can.
0: When they were a little bit older, I remember even, boy, I'm trying to think of the age. I feel like it might have been like sixth grade. So that's quite a bit older. But I remember having either Evan or Caden call and make their doctor's appointment for their regular appointment so that they could actually know how to, and we talked about it, you know, we practiced before, but teaching them how to talk to somebody on the phone and um, give information about themselves and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's something that us as moms, we make a gazillion appointments and things like that for our kids. And I think it's one that we can kind of go, oh, when they're 18 and all of a sudden they need to make some of that stuff on their own, they're going, wait, mom always did this kind of stuff for us. So there are tons of little examples that we could give on things that really what we're getting at is it is it is personal responsibility. And as the men that we're raising, they have a priority down the road of being responsible and taking care of families and even a civil servant, I suppose, even exercise a little bit in there. So these things, I know they sound small, but they really do build.
1: Absolutely. How old were they when you taught them to do laundry?
0: That is the summer of fourth grade year.
1: Okay. So that's not too far off from the same age that we're talking about. But that's another example of something that you should not do for your kids if they can do for themselves.
0: I'm going to tell you right now, moms, as you can already imagine, that teaching them to fold the way you like it to be folded will make you want to pull your hair out. But it is one of those things that's worth giving up the perfection and, I, and if you guys are thinking that, oh, well, aim you must not mind if the shirts aren't folded a certain way or if it's no, yes, I do mind. I mind a lot. But it's one of those things that, again, parenting shouldn't be convenient or probably easy, and it's probably not going to take the shortest amount of time. But it's worth it. So what he's alluding to here in in fourth grade, every summer or the summer before their fourth grade year, that was when the kids had a month where their job was laundry. And so the first week is pretty intensive of me helping them through, teaching them how to sort and, you know, teaching all of that. But then from then on, they were responsible for doing all of the family's laundry. And if you're like, wait, even yours, even mine, guys. and Yes, that's terrifying because what's going to go in the dryer? But they learn. They learn.
1: They do. And remember, just like we said earlier, it's not about having a clean family room. It's not about having clean clothes. You're not doing this because you want to get out of the job of doing laundry. You're doing this because of what you're teaching them. And again, this is another building block that eventually is going to lead to something far bigger and far more important than doing laundry. But it starts here.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because there is a little bit of some mom guilt that goes into this because it, it, it'll be like, well, I don't want to make them do their laundry. That's my job. I take care of the family. And I get all of that. I absolutely get all that. But that isn't the point. You're not trying to ditch response mom responsibility. You're not trying to get out of work for yourself. You're actually, if you think about it, doing more work by instilling things in your kids that they really, really need to learn.
1: Another one that I was just thinking of, the speaking of that kind of the building block thing. So one of the values of teaching your kids, you know, at that earlier age, seven or eight years old or whenever to like, for example, order at a restaurant, the interfacing with adults thing. Well, that here's what that looks like a few years later at, let's say, 15 years old, where your boys are able to start actually doing work and having it be valuable at the Mm -hmm. end. There's always the. Picture. I have a picture in my head of when I would mow the lawn and my boys would come out and they'd grab the little lower bar of the lawnmower and, and they'd help, in quotes, me push the mower. And it's like, they're not doing anything, right? right? So, but it was cute. And it was fun. I, I used to love that. Well, pretty soon they get to an age where, no, they can actually push the mower mm-hmm. and, and like they can actually contribute work. And so when that happens, which quick sideline for the mowing the lawn thing, my <laughs> rule was, when you're old enough to start the mower, yeah, then you're old enough to mow the lawn because it's you know it takes a lot of uh, strength to pull that cord hard enough. But anyway, when they're 15, and for my boys, they began doing work for other people, particularly my parents' friends who were mm-hmm. you know at that age where maybe they couldn't do yard work as much, and so they would start calling and seeing if my boys wanted to come over and help them. Well, instead of me. Being the liaison for scheduling and coordinating and figuring out what day and what time and all that stuff that was on them to do. And I think this is another pitfall that, that parents can sometimes fall into is that they are responsible for all of the logistics for their sons. But why? Your son, if he is old enough to go and participate in this thing that we know working for somebody or whatever, he's old enough to schedule it. And there are valuable skills that you're teaching them by having them be on the phone with the person, figure out what their schedule is, then come back and talk to mom and dad and figure out what's our schedule and can somebody take me over there and what time and like working through those things you are flexing new muscles in your kids to help them figure out how to plan for things.
0: Yeah. And again, just through this lens of raising boys to be men, when we look at this, we think of the end in mind and we think of what kind of husband do we want our boys to be someday? And how do we want them to take care of their own homes? And each of these little things are these building blocks that it's our job as parents right now in raising godly men, raising godly children to be able to make those decisions incrementally because if you just try to start, you know, you wake up one day and they're 17 and you're like why can't you do this stuff for yourself? Well, it's probably because you didn't start earlier on doing things like that. Now, if you hear that with like a giant guilt trip and you're thinking, "Okay, great. What do I do? I've not done any of this stuff." That the, his mercies are new every morning and the Lord can absolutely meet you right where you're at with your kids. But I would say start. You know, don't don't beat yourself up. Get going.
1: It's never too late to start. And yes, it might be a little more painful because they're not going to have the pattern that has been laid, but they'll figure it out that the kids are amazingly able to learn and grow. And the other thing that you're doing is you are you are giving them the gift of Mm self-reliance you're giving them the gift of responsibility kids crave that you hear the stories of the helicopter parents all the time right and the kids who they go off to college and it's like for the first time they're free from the parent that does everything for them and that's actually what the kids are craving all along and that can be a really scary situation when when they've had that for so long and now they're suddenly free from it because you know they can kind of go off the rails But if you are giving them that gift all along of being able to do some of these things for themselves and experience even maybe some failures when the stakes are small, it pays huge dividends down the road. Another example of what this can look like, let's say at 17. So for for our household, when you turn 16 and you get your license, that's a big deal. Getting your license is a big deal. And let me just say out there real quickly, if you have kids that are of driving age that don't have their driver's license yet, you need to get on that. Yeah. Because that's an important step. And I see way too many boys who are 16, 17, even 18 that don't have their driver's license yet. If that's happening, that might be not always, but it might be an indication that you're doing everything for your son. You're doing things for your son that they could be doing for themselves.
0: They might want to get that license in a hurry if you're just like, that's cool. I'm not driving you to where you want to go then. (laughs) Right.
1: Exactly. So anyway, when you turn 16, you know, there's a there's a contract that we sign uh, between dad and son. This
0: podcast is probably just illuminating us as the weirdest (laughs) parents ever. Yeah. Guys, we have contracts. How bizarre is this? But yes, we have a driving contract and it's lengthy.
1: But the reason why I do that is not just because of how serious driving is, but guess what? Your sons are going to have to sign contracts in their lives, whether they're moving into an apartment, buying a house, buying a car, a business deal, whatever, they're going to have to sign contracts. So they need to understand, you know, how to do that, how to read every word. They need to understand that sometimes living up to or fulfilling your obligation when you signed costs. Sometimes it hurts you and you have to make decisions you'd rather not make. But because you committed to something, you're going to have to do it.
0: So implied in this, parents, is that you must, you've got to be the backbone to this contract. You know, you can't put this out there like, oh, this sounds like a really cool idea. We actually, they sign it and both parents sign it and the kiddo, the driver signs it. And then they have to keep it in their glove box just in case they forget what was the time that the curfew mm. said that we're supposed to be back you know so we they're responsible for the information that's in there
1: so one of the things that you become responsible for under this contract is the vehicle and certain aspects of its maintenance and whatever and so going along the lines of doing things making your kids do things that they can for themselves for me that means interfacing with adults professionally so now they're calling the repair shop or whatever to schedule the oil change. And again, that might seem like, wow, you have your kids do that. Well, yeah, because eventually they're going to own a car and eventually that car is going to break down. And I don't want my boys being the person on the side of the road going, I have no idea what to do. Right. You know, like I want them to know, okay this I was doing this back when I was 17 years old. I know how to handle this situation. And so they have to call the service shop and they have to talk to them. Now, the first like three or four times this happens, they basically call the service shop, hang up and call me and we mm-hmm. talk about it. And, well, this is what they said. And I'm not sure what the problem is and all the stuff that you know of as an adult that you've had to deal with. You know, that's but that's coming for them.
0: And again, that's not really the point to take the work off of you. The point is to give them the exercise of going through all the all the questions and how to answer that.
1: Yep, and doing it when they are 16 or 17 and they have you right there as a resource versus when they're 25, 26, 28, 30 or whatever and they're not living with you, you know, hopefully. Um it, it's a much better environment for them to learn in. And and like I said, you can help them learn when the stakes are small.
0: So we're kind of talking about habits and building those blocks and work, but it's kind of a big deal for boys to and men to really understand this concept of work. We could actually probably talk a lot, a lot about the things that we're seeing throughout culture right now. That is because there is a really bad relationship between people and work, but in our context, men and work.
1: For most men, they will spend more of their awake hours working than doing anything else. Right. So if that's the case, then we as parents ought to be involved in teaching them to prepare for the thing that they're going to spend more awake hours doing than anything else. Mm -hmm. And that means that we have to be involved in teaching them how to work. And for me, particularly when they were little, that meant first and foremost, helping them to develop a positive relationship with work. And that's super important because you meet most men who just hate work, hate their job. I got to go, it's an old grind and, you know, all this stuff, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so trying to help them understand that working is part of life. It's something that we do, but there is real joy and satisfaction that can come from accomplishment, from completing tasks the right way and Uh, And being able to look and say, wow, I just did that. I did that thing. That was really cool. And so that can be, you know, first of all, for us, it was, you know, whatever, doing raking leaves when they were little or mowing the lawn. Lots of yard work was done in the McReynolds household. My boys could go on and on of the stories. They will
0: probably have zero yard (laughs) when they have their own
1: homes. And again, but it's not about doing the yard work. It was about teaching them how to work.
0: Yes. So teaching them how to work, which is an important skill. But then as far as just that you're raising godly men, teaching them that that work is not just it's not necessarily just for them, but that you're working as unto the Lord.
1: Yeah, I think I don't remember how old they were when we put Colossians 3.23 on their wall.
0: Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. And not for men. We probably should have put in there and not for mom and dad. Yeah. And maybe we should have put that part on the wall instead of men. Because you really do need to let your kids know the work that they're doing in school, it's not for the teacher. You know, the work that they're doing for even their grandparents, is somebody very well intended. Those are all good things, but it's it's so much bigger than that.
1: Yeah. And so again, just like when we're talking about, you know, for putting on their shoes or picking up toys, that probably means it's going to take a little bit longer. Oh man, did it take longer to rake leaves or to mow the lawn or to do whatever the thing was in the yard. But um, the value of first of all, making sure that they are substantively contributing. So it's not just that they're standing out there and watching you do the work. They, you give them some small task, but a meaningful task And a task that they can see once it's done that they did it and see that we work as a family, like we work together. And that helps to promote some elements of teamwork, which is going to hugely benefit them later. I mean, how many times have you guys worked with somebody who it's like, man, that person is not fun to work with? Well, probably that's because they never learned that lesson when they were younger. So teaching them that is super important. And then once the job is over, make sure that your kiddo is taking satisfaction in the fact that they did that job. And don't be afraid if you have to kind of supplement that with maybe like an ice cream run or something like that <laughs> to uh, help them celebrate, that's a good thing. But but again, it's it's the idea of promoting this positive relationship to work. Work is not a bad thing. It's not something to be avoided. It's not something to just kind of grind your way through so that I can get on with the rest of my life. It is I can glorify the Lord through doing this. It's not just let's get this over with as soon as possible. It's let's do this the right way. What I used to always tell them, a job worth doing is worth doing well. Um, and they can see it after the fact, say, hey, that was good and I did that.
0: Okay, so let's give some some things as it pertains to work and your boys and the even things that you can train them to use at early ages that kind of instill some practical know-how for them.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I'm amazed by, we had a serve day or whatever where I was responsible for a group of like 20 different high school age kids. And we were going to this person's house and we were helping to do some cleanup work in their yard. And some of it was a little bit more intense, like we were replacing some flooring in the house and things like that. But I was amazed how many of these kids, particularly the boys, had no idea how to work with tools. Yeah. Uh, not only did they not know how to operate certain tools, they didn't even know which tool is the right one for this particular job that needs to be done.
0: So there's probably some moms listening right now that are freaking out because we, we really do want to protect our kids at all. Like, oh, okay, that's dangerous. We need to be careful with that. So I might even need to back up just a little bit, moms, for your boys, there is an element, first I would say, of them needing to do stuff just with dad. And you might not need to be around and see this part. You know, <laughs> there's probably things that um, Chris has taught the boys to do with tools that believe me, I was probably, I they were much better served by me not being right there freaking out about if they were going to, you know, hit their finger with the hammer or whatever. So know when you need to just let them go do some guy stuff. But even if you are present actually kind of push the danger envelope a little bit. And I hope that is heard with you. I know that's hard for us as moms because we really don't. We we want to protect them. But we can protect them so much that then they are ill-equipped later on.
1: Boys crave danger and high stakes. And there's just something built into the male DNA that is attractive about fire or it's attractive about... Sharp knives, or you know, whatever. (laughs) Like, I am absolutely convinced it is built into the DNA. I have three boys; I've seen it in each one of them, and it's somewhat inexplicable because sometimes girls are a little bit more like, yeah, whatever. And And
0: yet, it's not because I think you can see biblically how men are wired to be the protectors. They are, um, they're wired to look out for their families and. They're the the stronger vessel there, you know?
1: And so be careful, mom, about always wanting to insulate your kids' worlds. Don't go wrap your boy in bubble wrap. Yeah. I know it will make you feel better, but they need to be able to experience that Taking a risk, you know, and again, we're talking about in small ways because they're going to be called upon later in their life to take big risks. And if they shrink back from those things, that's probably not going to be a good thing for them. So it's all about teaching them how to take correct risks. So choosing the risk wisely, and then also in the choosing how to do it the right way. But don't be so quick to run up and say, oh, don't hurt yourself. Oh, be careful, honey. We don't want to do, you know, because they need to be allowed to explore Mm -hmm. and they need to be allowed to brush up against risky and and somewhat dangerous things, again, in small ways when they're little and growing to be bigger things as they get older. And so for me, one of those things means when the kiddo hits the right age, and this is one of the ones where it's different for everybody. You've got to know your kid. But they should be able to to work around power tools. They should know how to operate a circular saw. You know? They- Did you
0: all? I, I I wish that we could be in the cars right now because I guarantee you. Because e- gals, even when I hear him say that, I'm like, seriously, is that really <laughs> really necessary? But I know that it is, and this is something that two gals that you need to have these conversations with your husband because he is going to have way more insight. Because guess what? He's a guy, and he knows. What these boys need. And then you need to take a step back and you need to submit to that and be okay with that. And I know it's hard. I really do.
1: Someday you will look at your son who is capable of doing this work with their hands. They have the know how and they have the appetite and the ability, and you'll be like, this is a good thing. Yeah. You know, but so many guys, I mean, I think about even neighbors that I've had who they don't have a clue how to deal with this tree that's fallen down in their yard because of the windstorm. And I mean, they don't, they they literally, they just have to call someone because they have no idea. I do not want that to be my son. Mm -hmm. I want my son to know what to do and how to do it safely. And so it's about teaching them, first of all, the names of tools. And uh, how to operate them when you use this tool for this thing versus that tool for that thing, how to do it safely in the right way, and teaching them that the job is not done until things are picked up, until the tools are away and the work site is clean. Think about the contractor that you've hired to come to your house and how much, how often they leave and it's still a mess everywhere because they didn't clean up after themselves. Well, that's them not learning at some point along the way that the job's not done until things are cleaned up.
0: So, you've also talked about it's yes, there's tools, but then also how teaching them to care for property because they usually like to destroy said property.
1: It is. And one of the things that you can run into if you don't do this earlier on is that when they are in their later teen years, getting them to help out with, you know, yard work or whatever can be a real chore. And so, one of the things that I like to teach the boys at a younger age is hey, even if you don't own something, if you are benefiting from that thing, then you have some responsibility for it. So, clean, you know, washing the car, for example, when it's time to wash the car, like, hey, you're expected to be out there. A sponge in hand and water on your clothes as we're diving in and doing this. And then that helps them to make that connection to, yeah, maybe I don't own this thing, but I, you know, that mom drives me around in it. And so that means I've got some responsibility. I think this leads to the notion of good citizenship later in life. It's that, you know, I'm driving down the road and this. Tree branch has fallen across the road, and rather than than driving around it and saying, oh, somebody else's job," it's the person who says, "Man, I better get this out of the way so that the next car that comes by, you know, it's not it's not blocking the road."
0: This is a practical example of when this happened. I remember one time I was all dressed up because we were going to a dinner somewhere, and we had gotten a new battery at. Costco, and I needed to return the old battery. And I had for some reason decided to take it back when I'm all dressed up, you know. So I'm dressed up going into costco's return line to give the battery that weighs like a gazillion pounds and there was a man standing in line with his i want to say like 14 year old son but he was like he was a good-sized kiddo and i'm kind of struggling with this i think i'm wearing white pants and so i didn't want the battery to touch so it's just really awkward to hold and the kid looks over at me and he comes over to like help me and start to be like oh can i get that and his dad said that's not your job son and it was definitely a moment for me to go, oh, we don't ever want to teach our kids that. But is it it is not just caring for their property. It's actually caring for other people. It's showing that we prefer others over ourselves. Whether it we weren't responsible for the the down tree branch that was there, but that's gonna be harder on a neighbor to deal with maybe than for us. And so still getting out and doing the work and having that mentality, you're serving others over yourself.
1: That is a huge one. And that example that I referred to earlier where I was overseeing those 20 high school students and we were working at that guy's house, Evan and Caden, my older two sons, uh, were going to come join us later. So I was just trying to figure out, okay, which one of you people know how to do something with tools and whatever and kind of classify them by what job am I going to have them do? And then my boys arrived and it was like they just sort of took over. Evan took a group of boys and went inside the house and started tearing up the floor and helping them make sure that they had the right tools that they need. Caden took over the outside and he was, you know, okay, you're going to do this job and you're going to get on the lawnmower and you're going to get on the weed eater and you're going to get the, and, and it was like, we were able to accomplish that work and be a real blessing to that homeowner because they knew how to do work. They had the appetite for it. They had the knowledge for it. And I think that the Lord was glorified that day through the work that they did. And that was super cool.
0: And that is such a great, important thing to teach our kids, boys and girls, that everything that we do should glorify the Lord. You know, it is in Corinthians when it talks about whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And making sure your kids know that the energy that's being expended on this, that is the goal right there. Well, okay, we're going to wrap up on this one because this is going to probably not surprise many of you, but we have way more things that we could look at as far as it comes to raising men. So do you have any final thoughts on anything that we've talked about today? And maybe we'll save the rest for a part two.
1: I guess I would just say this. Remember, your boys are learning even when you're not teaching. Mm-hmm. And so the way that you do what you do every day speaks volumes. And so you've got a captive audience. Take advantage of it.
0: Yep. That's really good. All right, guys. Hold on, because next time I have Chris come in, we're going to talk about men and emotions, which I think is not discussed very often and probably should be. And there was something else that we had, too. Is that the big one? That's the big one. Obviously. All right. Okay. So watch for a, an episode. I don't know if it will they'll be back to back with this uh, one, but it is coming. We'll do one on helping our boys and men with emotion. So we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at